Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, this is a content warning. Uh, the interview that you're about to hear contains themes of suicide that some listeners may find confronting. It's not suitable for young listeners, and if you're listening whilst driving, I suggest that you catch up with the show later on 3CR Online or via podcast. Today, our guest is a compulsive gambler. I'd like to welcome SJ to the show. Hi, SJ. Hello, Bill. How are you? Good, thanks. SJ is a member of Gamblers Anonymous, and today she's going to share her gambling story and talk about how she ended up going to Gamblers Anonymous to seek help with her gambling addiction. So, SJ, we usually start by talking about growing up and things that influenced you in your childhood. So what was your early life like? My early life was, it was a good life. It was a good childhood. Um, I have good childhood memories. You know, back in the 70s when I was born, gosh, it seems a while ago now, my parents couldn't afford babysitters, so they used to take us out with us. Uh, And I was one of two other siblings, an older brother, a younger sister. Uh, as mum said, we couldn't afford babysitters, so they'd take us to the pub. Um, and I still remember getting a bag of chips, a, a soft drink, and a handful of coins to play the poker machines with. And I can still remember her, you know, giving us all the go on then, go away, and, and go and have your whatever you do. I would dread to think, try and do that nowadays. So, you know, from I think I can remember the age of maybe eight, I was playing poker machines. Now, it may have been younger. But eight was probably um, a good guess going that far back. And, you know, I mean, I and I asked my mum about it and she said, well, you know, again, we couldn't afford babysitters. So we had to take you three kids everywhere we had to go, really. So that was my first actual memory of uh, the poker machines. So was your mum or dad a gambler? My parents actually divorced when I was three or four. So my stepfather... I think they, he was as well. My mum definitely was in the poker machines, um, and I remember, you know, playing housey or bingo, whatever that was called. But, um, you know, back then it took, you know, it was only 20-cent pieces, and, you know, you had to pour a, a level, you know, handle down. It took time, it, it, you know, and for a little kid, as you imagine, you're hanging off this machine doing your best to, you know, what would you call it, entertain yourself, as shameful as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get on with your uh, siblings? Well, my older brother, I think he, he got the, you know, and I he do hear from some, you know, other siblings that the oldest sometimes gets the hardest end of the stick, you know, because they're doing the first things for the first time. And I was in the middle, my younger sister, but well, she was brought up with her parents, you know, as I said, my brother and I was our stepfather. Um, so she was, if you ask me, she was never in the wrong. We, we got always the blame. And I remember so many times it was like, it wasn't us, it was her. 
And I thought one day hopefully they might see the light on her. But, um, yeah, it was just getting the blame for things that wasn't really your fault. I mean, I, I remember times my, my stepfather, we used to, you know, people would say, is he a, a horse rider? Because he was so talented, he could drive a car and whack us at the back of the seats and we're all picking up our legs going, you know, hopefully we're, because again, it was just like anyone got the whack, whoever, you know, and then, yeah, so. <laughs> it, it might sound pretty typical to a lot of people, really, um, even with their parents just <laughs> getting a bit out of control in the car. So how did you go at school? Well, high school, I actually thought it was a bit of a joke to start with, actually, Um because my parents also indulged a lot in alcohol, so there was, you know, lots of bits of violence due to alcohol-related, you know, episodes and smoking. Couldn't wait to smoke for some stupid reason. So, as I said, uh, high school for me was, yeah, a little bit of a joke. I actually got expelled from my first high school at the young age of 14, I don't know, and my mother, well, she was mortified. She said to me, you're going to this school, and if you don't do well at this school, you'll be... Oh, I was in big trouble. So literally, and I remember we had to cycle by, you know, apparently kids don't use bicycles nowadays, but we had to bike, I'd say four or five Ks there and then the headwind all the way back again. That's what we did. But I, yeah, no, the second high school I went to, I actually did do a lot better. Like giving me a second chance, really, I suppose, at high school. Yeah. Uh, So what about friends? I've got, well, look, I mean, now, well, I used to think they were friends. Even going back to high school, I used to look at the cool kids or the cool club, you know, thinking I wanted to be with them. And it took me probably 10 years after leaving high school that they were all the bad kids. You know, why did I want to be one of them? Because I was a bit of a nerd. Um, They used to call me bush pig at high school because of my little button nose. Obviously, people can't see that. But um, the second I left high school, you know, especially boys would say, oh, look at your cute nose. So, and I was overweight back then too. So, um, you know, bullied for for my nose and then, you know, then got so many comments about my nose. It was quite like, hmm. But, you know, I had good friends back then. But um, I think, again, the more with, you know, the, the gambling um, and then the alcohol from a young age and, and smoking from a young age. Yeah, statistically, I mean, it was in my genes or I was born as a smoker, maybe with alcohol in my system. But, yeah, those three things, they um, sort of got me towards the end. So when did the alcohol use start? That was from a young age as well, because I remember the more my mum said to me, don't drink or don't smoke for some crazy reason, I wanted to do it. And my parents had a cupboard full of alcohol. So I probably the age of 11, 12, I think. And I thought I was a genius, thought, quote, a genius back then because I would take a little amount out of every single bottle and put it in the cup and it tasted like petrol. Not that I've ever drunk petrol, by the way. And I remember drinking this thinking, I'm going to get this amazing whatever people drink alcohol for. And then one day mum started to mark those bottles and, oh, was I in trouble. I didn't think in my genius little young 12-year-old brain (laughs) to maybe refill them with a little bit of water so they wouldn't know. No, but she caught me out on that one. Same with smoking. I remember one day my stepfather walking over, you know, we were camping, and he said, step away, because I put my foot over the cigarette. He said, step away. I said, no, step away. Even smoking, they 
they were always a step ahead of me, but you never thought that they were back then. <laughs> so did you drink? I, I suppose you drank alcohol with your friends and smoked with your friends. That was the, that's what you do. Yes, yes, definitely. Look, I can still remember buying the first pouch of tobacco. and I, It was less than $10 back then, and they're well over 100 now. I can't even afford to smoke, let alone the prices of them. And, you know, with alcohol, mum got to a stage, I think, 15, 16, which still sounds a little bit crazy back then, but she said, if you're going to drink, you'll drink with me. I don't want you out in the streets. And, you know, because my mum always said it was different. She said, you know, I said, what about my brother? He's allowed to do whatever. Whenever, however, oh, it's just different for girls. And I couldn't work that out, one out. Why? Why can't a big brother do whatever he likes? But yet I can't, you know, go out after 6 p.m. some nights. But, um, yeah, so it got to a point where mum felt obviously comfortable that I'd rather that you drunk at home with me rather than out in the streets being by myself as a teenage girl. Yeah. No, wise, wise words, really. So did drinking affect your gambling? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, because I mean, if you haven't guessed, Bill, I'm I'm from New Zealand originally, but been in this beautiful country now for nearly 13 years actually. But back then, you could drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, and gamble all in under the same roof. So it was very viable back then to do. And I remember thinking, I'm doing all the three things I thought I enjoyed doing. Thought. Mm. So it takes a bit of money to drink and gamble and smoke. So what were you doing for money as a, as a teenager? I actually worked at my stepfather's factory. He made kitchen benches, benches I should say, for Micah, you know, kitchens. And um, I actually started working from the age of 14. And I remember I can hear, you know, him and my mum talking that they need someone to sweep up the factory, you know, an after-school boy. And, and I said, I'll do it. And my stepfather said, no, no, we're looking for a boy. I went, well, give me a try at least, give me a chance. And they went, well, all right then. And, yes, yeah, so I, I mean, again, it was a blessing in disguise working from such a young age because it gave me, um, you know, responsibility. I got $5 every day, you know, and bear in mind, it's bicycle five, six Ks back home to get to the, you know, Talk about me and bicycling, I should have very strong legs, actually. Um, but, yeah, it gave me a sense of, of value of money because with that $25 I got a week, I remember I could, you know, save five. I used to pay something, lay by back then with another five. And, um, yeah, and I ended up doing that job, staying, sweeping that factory because he said to me, you know, I had to beg for that, give me a chance. And he actually said to me, you're one of the best sweepers we've ever had. And uh, I was like, thanks. So I did that after-school job for four or five years and I remember because I spent most of my teenage years grounded and I'd just get off the grounding and then mum would be like yeah grounded again I'm like damn it and the only thing I was allowed to do was to bicycle five six k's to high school headwind all the way back sweep that factory and come straight home and ironically enough I thought whatever I do when I grow up one day um, would I would not involve a broom and ironically enough I'm a hairdresser by trade so I've now been officially sweeping for over Four decades, I suppose. Wow, I have been to, yeah, four decades. It's a while, <laughs> nearly. Uh, that's funny, isn't it? So with your friends then, did your drinking or gambling affect your relationships, your early relationships? Absolutely. Let's take a breath here. I'm just trying to not get emotional. But, yeah, I remember so, 
so many times my friends would say, you know, we've come out with you today, SJ, tonight, and you spent most of your time in the pokey room. I remember that so many times. And, you know, you would think it would only be five minutes. Oh, it won't be long, won't be long. You could spend most of your night in there. It got to a point, I remember, you know, my friends were like, look, you either come out with us or you go to the machines, do one or the other. And unfortunately, back then, I'm bro, I'd go out with you guys and I could do gambling on another day, uh, which looking back on it, yeah, so it did definitely affect, you know, my friendships, home life, because again, I mean, people just want your attention nowadays, just your time, your listening skills. But yeah, that definitely did affect a lot of relationships looking back on it. Yeah. So when you gamble in, do you prefer to be alone? I generally go out by myself, yeah, alone. But, you know, sometimes you can speak to people in, in gaming rooms um, and sometimes whew, sometimes they can be not friendly and sometimes they can just be nasty, like, oh, you just get the vibe, um, you know. But I do hear of a lot of, especially women um, and unfortunately elderly women, going to pokey venues because, they, you know, they want some, a time out or they want to go out and, you know, and not be harassed or, you know. And I sort of think, yeah, whereas in yeah, nowadays I, um, I'd rather go for a walk or do something a bit more in nature, I suppose, you know. Spend my time more wisely, you know, 46 years later. Yeah. So leaving school then and starting work, did that give you more chance to gamble? Well, no, because as much as, you know, again, as you know, I was playing the poker machines as entertainment from a very young age, I got some money for my 21st birthday, so I decided to do my OE. I uh, lived in the UK for a couple of years, and I travelled through Europe. And for four or five years, the machines, no gambling, nothing. It wasn't, you know, until I probably came back to New Zealand, um, and that would be in the late 20s, I dare say. But, yeah, it was travelling. I mean, I suppose I'm still travelling now, aren't I, because I'm in, um, in Australia, I should say. But, yeah, and it slowly got worse downhill from there. So how did it start to get worse? What was the progression? Well, again, you know, going out with my friends and they're always like, you're never with us. That that really hurt my, you know, but and then you'd want to do more. So... I found it actually progressed when I was dating a man who would gamble on sports games. And I got to a point where I had my own account. This was in New Zealand. And I was, you know, again, you think you know what you're doing, but really I don't, didn't have a clue looking back on it. But, yeah, I started betting on um, anything, rugby games, rugby league games. Yes, and there was one time I lost I don't want to say the amount, but I lost thousands on one game and it nearly killed me. It nearly devastated me because in New Zealand, you can, some, you know, some, with some games, it might have changed now, you know, because we're going back, you know, 15 odd years ago, but you could call the, um, we'll just call it your accounts place. And halfway through a game, you could put more money on or you could actually, um, my friend sort of told me that, you know, you could put money on the other team so it would, uh, counter, you know, cancel your bet. So you wouldn't win or you wouldn't lose. I remember the lady picked up the phone and she went, can I help you? And I literally was just silent and I put the phone down thinking, no, we're, we're, we've got this, we're, we'll, we'll win. 
And that last, that other half of the game of 40 minutes was the worst, longest 40 minutes of my life. And to put the icing on the cake, I was at my parents' house that night. So can you imagine I'm going happy, happy, sad, sad. And I was I could feel it was like death inside me because it was thousands. I don't want to say that number. Um, and after that, I just was like, okay, mum, I've got to go to bed now. And um, yeah, my brother, unfortunately, took his life many years ago now but if he hadn't have done that I probably would have taken my life that night it was just but that was uh, a turning point I dare say after that because I thought this has to stop so I literally closed the account down and stopped betting on things I knew nothing about yeah yeah that's the thing about gambling it it's a game of chance and people think if they know something about it they've got a better chance but yeah it's it's not good. Okay, well, listen, we might take a short break there. first song was When We Were Young by Kat Kintiri, the title track of her debut solo album released in 2014. 
Kakantiri is a singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist based in Melbourne, and her song was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Calling all filmmakers, the 9th Annual Setting Sun Film Festival wants your film. Enter a short or a feature-length film for the chance to see your work up on the gorgeous Sun Theatre screen in Yarraville. The Sun Theatre was voted one of the most beautiful theatres in the world, with up to $10,000 in prizes for winners. Entries close on the 31st of January 2022. Go to settingsun.com.au and enter your film now. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. So, here you are. Too foreign for home. Too foreign for here. Never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo. Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced, Produced by Jan. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today I'm talking with SJ and we're talking about compulsive gambling and her recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, so, as Jay, before the break, we were talking about, you know, having a, a very large loss and how you felt completely worthless and didn't know what to do. So, did you have other gambling experiences like that 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 you felt really deeply moved on? Yes, yes, many of them, Bill. I mean, apart from the fact of losing thousands of dollars, I often, you know, say to myself, I could possibly be sitting in my own home right now. However, I'm not. But, yeah, there was one incident where my mother had lent me, it was about $150, and I ended up gambling it, and that just mortified me. I was just so ashamed of myself because, you know, I've, I've never borrowed money to gamble or stolen or anything like that, but just the fact that my kind mum had lent me that money and I gambled it, I literally didn't want to be here anymore. I wanted to kill myself. Um, and so I remember calling an ambulance and they said, what's your emergency? I said, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I just felt like death. So I thought maybe I should go to death. And then my poor mum, when she found out that I was going to take my life for $150, she explained to me, she said, please don't ever think or do that again she said you're irreplaceable we can't get another one of you it's only money and you've made a mistake and you know you're worth so more than that and and looking back on it of course I mean we are irreplaceable humans you know money can only buy you so much 
but that was a, a turning point. And again, after that, I may have stopped for a little bit and then I started again. So how often do you think you've tried to stop gambling? I lost that number probably hundreds of times. Similar with uh, quitting smoking, tried that hundreds of times. It's only in the last probably three years I've actually seeked professional help in Australia. And one day when I go back to New Zealand, I'll also do the same steps there as well to help myself to recovery. Yeah. So what sort of help did you start with? I started with banning myself in Victoria from pokey venues. I remember saying to the lady, um, she said, how many would you like to, uh, well, they call it a self-exclusion. So basically excluding yourself off that, you know, I can't go in there. And I said to her, um, I remember saying, I'll put, put all the pokey venues on there. She said, do you know how much paperwork that would create for us? She said, it's better off that you write them down. So, you know, and I remember I, I had a pen and paper in the car. So if I drive a certain way to a shop or a mall, <clears throat> excuse me, and passed a pokey venue, I had a pen and paper there ready to write it down. <clears throat> and I remember there was, so this was my first self-exclusion I did, let's say, three years ago now. There was about 30 on that original list. So it was a great start. And then, because you can either go, um, they can ban you for six months up to two years. So I said to her, I'll go ban for life. She said, no, it can only be for two years because they take your photo and, and of the side picture of you as well. So, because obviously a poker machine, you're not always facing the right way. She said, because people change with their looks. So we need to, you know, well, we'll let you know when those two years are up and we can put you back on the program if you like. But I um, unfortunately somehow missed that uh, your two years is up. And then I, and I thought it's been a couple of years. I haven't played the machine. I've got this. I'll be in control. I know what I'm doing. And then I started playing them again. And um, do you know what? I, I was lucky for a good week or so. Every machine I touched, I won, won, I won. I thought, I, I, you know what? I even thought I could count uh, jackpots because, you know, some jackpots start a certain amount and go off at a certain amount. And I did that for five or six days. And I remember thinking, if you can't read jackpots, if there's none there, you've got to walk out. There are rules. And I broke my own rule because I forgot to walk out. I hear that often that people find it very difficult to walk away from a pokies venue until they don't have anything. So what is that? Well, to me, it's addiction. It's an illness. It's craving that little bit more. You lose so much, let's just say you lose $50, so now you can think to yourself, okay, I'm down 50, so now I've got to win that 50 back to break even. That 50 now turns into 100. Now, you know, now I've got to get 100 to, to even break even and then to win something. Now your emotions start to get involved because that 150 can go to 250 to 350. 
to the point where you've got no money left. And now I'm really getting quite angry because I've got to get 500 back just to break even. I've got to go over to the money machine, get some more money out. Hopefully no one's going to touch my machine because this is the winning one. You can just tell because I've put so much money into it. I mean, it's got to pay out. So it's like a, a nasty wheel. I call it, you know, it's an addiction. It's an illness. And it's just having that little bit more. I want one, just one more but it never satisfies because you go back again and again and again. I guess it's denial in its rawest form, isn't it? That you're denying reality. You're denying the fact that it will continue on. With a capital D, yes, definitely. It's. I remember, you know, some days would come tonight, nights would come today. I didn't know what day, time, you know, especially some of these casinos, they're big, they're huge. But, yeah, you just think, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And my my friend said to me, once those bad emotions get involved, well, I will never, ever win back what I've lost, ever. So I just have to count my losses and quit just for today and become a better person because I'll I'll never get that money back. So I'll just quit while I'm ahead, so to speak, Phil. Yeah. So once you realised that you couldn't do it alone, where did you look for help? after that so like I said I did the my I'm I'm now doing the second self-exclusion program in Victoria here and she said to me and this was of May this year because again I you know I had a little bit of a win 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 and then loss 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 even lost some more so I thought okay I'm going back on the program and the lady was very helpful actually she said to me we can even put you on a high alert I was like, yes, please, please. This uh, this gave me faith. I thought you put me on the highest alert that you've got, put me on the radar. You know, spread my name, my face everywhere. And then I moved house. So I thought, well, I asked for my list back of venues that I don't want to go into. And I was going to add a couple more on that list. And when I got the list back, I thought to myself, why am I only adding two? I remember when I first said to that lady, put them all on there. Well, I just got Google Maps out and I just started writing that pub, that pub, that pub. I mean, I went from uh, where I was living to, I'd probably say, 30, 40k radius. So my self-exclusion list of, it had 30, 32 on it, I think. I doubled that. I sent it back with over 70 venues on it. And now I can drive past the venues. You're on the list, you're on the list, you're on the list. So that was good. And then, as I said, that was of May of this year. And then uh, between June, July, May, June, July, I, I went back to five of these places on the, you know, and I know I shouldn't have been in there. I, I, I had anxiety even walking in. I spoke to all the staff members, hoping and praying that somebody would recognise me. Just get a wee bit emotional. Okay. But no one did. You know, I, I really took my time ordering, you know, a drink or like, yeah, someone would recognize me. And I went to four or five places and I felt guilty. I had anxiety and no one recognized me. Um, I even spoke to staff members at venues and they said, look, there's just there's too many names to remember. We try to do our best. And I thought, OK, so I phoned up 
things called Vic Clubs or, you know, Hotel Association in Victoria here. And I spoke to the lady and I said to her, look, you know, I've got myself on the second self-exclusion. You put me on a high alert. I said, the system doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I said, I've been into four or five places I shouldn't have been into. And she said to me, you should know. You should know, SJ, that you shouldn't be in these venues. You've signed the agreement. You've signed the deed. And you know what, Bill? It's like telling an alcoholic, you don't need that drink. You know, I smoked for that long cigarettes that I could feel my lungs caving in to the point I couldn't breathe. And that's when I stopped smoking. And I'll, I'll never smoke cigarettes again. But it got to that point where I couldn't breathe to stop. And with poking machines, I just thought, you know what? I, I did have a, a good amount of money. I lost maybe half of it. it, will, it it's growing slowly but surely. But I thought, if you don't do something this time, like, I've met people in the GA meetings that are twice my age that have just done this, you know, a couple of months prior to me doing it. And I look at them in their 70s thinking, I don't want to be like that. You know, I should have done this 20 years ago, but better late than never. Yeah, so the lady at Vic, Vic Club, she said to me, she said, look, what you can do is put a complaint into um, the Victoria Association forgive me for not knowing that correct uh, abbreviation there, but she said you can put a complaint in, just say that you know that you're being banned from these venues and they've let you in. So I, I put in complaints to those five places, but that was during during COVID, so, and they only have, I think, a month's data on their, you know, cameras, so they've all denied, obviously, seeing me as they would, but yes, if they ever see me again, they will hopefully know my face because I've put complaints in, and I don't ever, ever want to walk back into those areas again and actually even through the GA meetings um, and I've unfortunately or fortunately spoken and met some beautiful humans who are alcoholics it's actually put me off alcohol as well I used to work in bars and if I wasn't working in bars I'd be um, you know in the bar as a patron but now alcohol thanks but no thanks uh, smoking no thanks and poker machines in fact I call them a joke machine so thanks, but no thanks to that as well. So how did you get introduced to GA? So as I said, yeah, so I've done the self-exclusion. I thought, right, I put the complaints in so I can tick those boxes. And I went on a, a date with this guy, which ended up being a terrible date, but we won't go into that. And he was the one that actually recommended, he said, have you done any um, Gamblers Anonymous meetings? I went, no. And he was actually a recovering alcoholic and he said he'd done five years without a drink and being, you know, naive, I said, so does that mean you can never have a drink? He went, I can never touch alcohol again. And I thought, well, I've done every step I can actually think of doing to help myself avoiding these joke machines, whatever you want to call them. Electronic heroin is they've been, you know, they are similar to. Or there is just the, the lowest form of gambling one can do. If you ask me, I'd rather keep my dollar than risk it. Um, but gambling is as bad as ice or, as someone else said the other day, electronic heroin. Not that I've ever tried that either, but it's like, it's yeah, gross. And, yeah, so this date from, you know, not so good, we'll call that, he, he was the one that actually recommended the, the GA meetings. And it was quite... You know, as much as I'm laughing, like the, you know, they call it, you know, Gamblers Anonymous. And on my first meeting, I was just so ashamed of myself, you know, what I'd done, the money I'd wasted. And I remember them, they were saying, um, and, and who's on the iPhone? 
And I remember thinking, I thought this whole group was anonymous. Now they want to know my name. And I was so emotional at the time. I could literally, I couldn't even get the words out. It's, it's Jay saying my name. So I got my name out and thinking, Phew, got that far. Turned off the, you know, the microphone and the video. I didn't want to be seen or heard back then. Um, and I kept doing every meeting. I also um, do some other meetings as well. But the more meetings I do, the better my life is getting. You, When you hear people's stories, and again, like what they're recovering from, their childhood, the trauma people have been through. I've even looked into the trauma my parents have been through, their parents. It can go through generation after generation after generation. Um, like I said, when my mother was pregnant with all of her three children, she said I smoked through three pregnancies, had a few drinks, but not as many as like I would have if I wasn't pregnant. So again, like nowadays, most people, that, you know, they're pregnant. Like my, I mean, my niece, when she found out she was pregnant, that's it, no more smoking, no more drinking, like a switch, just like that. Whereas in, back in the 70s, there weren't so many, you know, health warnings and you shouldn't smoke because you're pregnant sort of thing. So how did you find the Zoom meetings for introducing you to Gamblers Anonymous? I remember the first meeting, again, I, I could I was just bawling my eyes out probably for the first week, I suppose, just with all this remorse, regret, guilt. But on the first, it was the first or second meeting of, of Gamblers Anonymous, I listened to a, a lady's story who, she was in her 70s, and I've recently just hit my four months of not touching a joke machine. And it feels great. Well, she had done six months. And I think I said previously, like, I listened to her story and I thought, I don't want to be a 70-year-old woman doing that at her age. I adore this woman. I really do. I respect her quite a lot because she, she's helped me quite a bit, actually. And her story was that changing point where I thought, listen and learn. And it's same with other people's stories. You just learn from them and grow from them. And just for today, I, I do love that saying, just for today. Um, I believe you can do anything if you put your mind to it. So just for today, I do want to be a better person than what I was even yesterday. And just for today, I won't gamble. That's good. It, it's easy to say, you know, I can gamble tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. It's that thing of saying, I won't do it. It's, it's, it's about now. Yes. As long as you don't do it now, it doesn't matter when you do it. It's just not now. Yes. Or like I, I, um, I'm a big believer, you know, live in the moment. And we've got to make choices every single day. I mean, even getting out of bed, you could trip up and hurt yourself. You've got to make choices. So it's, and I always say to my nephews or anyone younger, make good choices choices my girlfriend always used to say to me make good choices SJ and if she found out I hadn't she'd be like what was the last thing I said to you make good choices and four months from not playing those machines was one of the best choices I've ever made Bill ever made yeah <laughs> that sounds good okay awesome we might take another short break up to me you ought to know the truth have slipped up 
guilted for the last time I'm moving on the center choice Cause this is my life Lost years Lost years Lost years Those were the last years I know a part of your heart was in the right place But as we grew close you tightened chains around my waist Started seeing me as a part of you Your obsession, possession and creative tool Last song was Lost Years, also by Kat Kanjiri, released in August 2020 and was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app.
What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, today I'm talking with SJ and we're talking about compulsive gambling and recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So SJ, before the um, break, we were talking about coming into Gamblers Anonymous and the impact of other people's stories on your life and the way you thought about your life. I think you said you've been clean for four months. So how different are things and how has that impacted your life? Um, well, again, Bill, the meetings I do, so I, I sometimes do two a day. Uh, somebody said to me, how long did you gamble for? I said years. They said, well, you need to do the meetings for years. You need to do those meetings for as long as you gambled. And, and I love the fact, again, with people's shares, you, you'll learn and you'll grow and then you'll know from other people's stories. And if you don't, we'll keep listening until you do. And again, I've recently, I've always been a proud auntie, but I've recently become a great auntie. And I want to break that generation of, you know, passing down what your parents did. Again, some people, you know, pass on that, that chain to their children and some people break the chain. And I want to break that chain with alcohol, smoking, gambling, drugs. In fact, even doing this interview today, if I could change anyone from wasting their money, wasting their time, their life, their feelings, their everything from not gambling, I would pray and, and help anyone. I would definitely, just, just for today, don't please don't gamble, just for today, you know. Set that example for, for yourself and for others. But, was, yeah, these meetings, and as I said to you, I mean, my first couple of meetings, I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even... And then I remember a week later, you know, I was slowly speaking better and I was showing my face. And then I think 10 days later, I actually hosted an uh, 11 a.m. recovery tea morning. 10 days prior to that, I couldn't even say two letters, which was my name, SJ. Yeah, a lot of people do take a while to, to open up, but it is good to sort of get involved. So we call it fellowship, but it's really, I guess it's friendship of the group. How have you felt, how's that affected you? Well, it's affected me in more ways than one because the beautiful souls and people, you know, again, they're all honest people. They speak from the heart. They have integrity and they're authentic because they are literally brave enough to stick their hand up and say, I have a problem with this. I'm addicted to something that is destroying my soul. And probably say 80% of it was actually saying, hi, my name's SJ. I'm a compulsive gambler. But just for today, I haven't gambled. And today is 123 days 
to be precise. But just to say that my name and I am a compulsive gambler, that was huge. That was like taking a big relief off my shoulders. And I asked somebody, I said, will I be a compulsive gambler for the rest of my life? She said, yes. And I was sort of like relieved going, okay, I can now put this problem as a a compulsive gambler. That's what it's called. I will have this problem for the rest of my life. I can accept that. I'm powerless to it. I can put my hand up. I can take all the steps. I can do Zoom calls, meeting. We're going back to meeting, face-to-face meetings soon. You know, do everything you can to get the help. But again, I can't, you know, words don't express what these meetings do for me. But, you know, people are brave enough to stick their hand up and explain their, their trauma of childhood, which has unfortunately led them to addictive, you know. And again, there's so many addictive um, things you can get addicted to nowadays. Shopping, sugar, there's the, the list really goes on. I mean, again, we can underdo it, overdo it, but just for today, I will do my best to find balance in life and not gamble. Mm. Yeah, I think it's about putting it into perspective, understanding that that's that's part of your life now and the reason why you're doing what you're doing is because that was part of your life. So has it changed your work or your interaction with other people? Do you get on with other people better? Yes, I do actually. But at one stage, though, as I said, I lost most of my friends because they were either gambling or using drugs or people that, you know, some people drink, they shouldn't drink. It just makes them worse. And, yeah, I remember at one stage thinking I've literally, you know, apart from some good friends and family in New Zealand, I thought I've got no friends. But I thought, oh, well, if that's just the way it is, I'd rather have no friends that friends that were users or abusing me or just wanted something because I'm a... I get it from my mum. I'm a very kind, uh, giving person. And it it took me a few years just to realise who to give to and who not to give to as well. But again, and I'm going back to the the meetings, but they're all genuine, trustworthy. They're my new friends. They're my new family, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I think they are family because they know so much about you and, you know, they're there to, to help you. Yes, and help and to help others as well. Like I was, it was only um, three days ago, I was on a Gamblers Anonymous meeting. And on the meeting, you speak from the heart, from the bottom of your soul, but that's where it stays. And like I said, I did speak about that mature lady whose story changed my whole life, but I'll never say her name. And yeah, again, I just love the fact that, you know, I had literally, all my friends weren't really friends, but now I've, I've, I've found a belonging. I've, and people listen and they care. We always, you know, often say, you know, thanks for sharing, thanks for caring. Keep coming back because it works if you work it. And with the 12-step program, look, I'm, I'm still on, you know, the first step is admitting that you're powerless, and I definitely can admit to that. You know, you go through the 12-step program and if you do step by step and I may be up on to step two or three, so again, but I'm happy with that. It's all about progress, not perfection at the end of the day. And, yeah, the 12-step program, doing the Zoom calls, you know, excluding yourself due to the whole COVID thing and working in bars, and I've, I've really gone off alcohol as well. I have the occasional wine but I don't need to drink alcohol anymore because I've seen what it does to people. And again, I've spoken to so many alcoholics 
and I wouldn't say it to them, but I mean, I say thanks for sharing your story about alcohol because it's actually put me off alcohol. Because I was going through a stage where I was drinking, you know, I think a few people were through COVID, you know, um, but thank goodness all the machines got turned off. It was a blessing in disguise. That's actually what helped me um, on the road to recovery. It was on the 29th of July this year, they switched all the machines off in Victoria. For the first time in my life, I thought, I can't gamble, even if I wanted to. I've never been turned off before. They're all sleeping. They're having a long power nap. That was a blessing in disguise because you get to a point where you do, even, you know, just for today, if you do one day, I believe you could do just for today, another day, but you get to a certain point where you think, I don't need to waste my money anymore. I could do something better with my time too. I could set a better example for myself, for my friends, just for today. I will do that instead. Yeah, it's about choices, isn't it? It's realising that you've got choices and exercising them. Definitely, and making good choices. Now, when I was playing poker machines, and, you know, I work hard for my money. I've got a few different jobs I do, but one of them I do house cleaning for. And I, I do get paid relatively quite well for that. But how quickly I would put that in a machine and lose it was absolutely devastating. I can't even, it was just awful how quickly you could just shove it in a machine. And again, it's, yeah, choices. Make good choices. Even if it's just for today, make good choices. Because that feeling of gambling and losing $500, sometimes more, the guilt, the remorse, that feeling was just foul. It just disgusts me. But the feeling of just for today, not gambling, four months later is absolutely beautiful. I'm, I'm proud of myself. And believe me, it's only four months. My long-term goal is to do a million days. So I've only done 123. <laughs> but just for today, I know I won't gamble and um, become a better person and make good choices. I'm 47. I should have probably thought about this, 27, 37 this is why I'm doing it. Sorry, I'm 46. Yeah, geez, I don't even know my own age. But again, I don't want to do this at 56, you know, and so forth. But yeah, just for today, make good choices. So has it helped you in your relationship to your mum? Yes and no. Um, as I said, I'm from New Zealand. This is the longest time I have been away from New Zealand. I have literally tried five times to get on a plane since COVID hit and had, yeah. Because when I told my mum about, you know, um, I'm a compulsive gambler, she actually thought I was gambling. I said, no, mum, I'm actually doing the opposite. I'm addressing the problem and I'm getting help and bit by bit, you know, I'm becoming a better person. And she often, you know, she, I remember a couple of times she said, like, I'm pretty sure I could have done better as a mother. And looking back on it, you know, giving you a handful of coins thinking that, you know, it was entertaining you so us parents could have a few drinks and go out was obviously not the best choice that they could have made. Definitely not. And look, back then, Bill, I mean, if we weren't playing poker machines and bars and if we were misbehaving, we, we were sent back to the car, you know, all right, get back to the car. You know, I mean, nowadays in Australia, you see signs saying don't leave your kids in parked car. Well, look, we spent most of our childhood in a parked car. 
And look, I do a bit of stand-up comedy, you know, shows. And I used to say in one of my shows on good behaviour, mum would wind the window down with a wish, grasping it here. So, but again, I mean, in today's world, you will even dream of giving a child money to play a machine. You wouldn't say, get to the car, you know, you parked car because you've been naughty. I mean, thank goodness times are changing. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's funny talking about being in a car. I remember sitting in a car outside a pub with my two sisters and my dad was in, inside drinking and he obviously had said, I won't be long and he was it was quite a while. And we were sort of playing in the car and, you know, pumping the accelerator and things. He got out and, of course, the car, the carburetor was flooded so it wouldn't start. But he'd had a few drinks and he was pretty cross. Oh, no. He never, he never left us in the car again. I tell you what, I remember those words, I won't be long. I won't be long. I won't be long. How long is long? Like, talk about a, extending the truth to a big lie. Oh, yeah, I won't be long. Hey, SJ, you've been in that poking room for three hours. No, really? Like, probably right, though, because, again, time just, you know, you lose yourself in those rooms and your soul and your money and everything else. So it's changed you a lot. Has it changed how you sort of view yourself? You know, looking back, do you do you sort of forgive yourself for being naive? Totally. Look, and again, the remorse I had, the guilt. But I do believe you, you have to let go of some things because otherwise they'll eat you from the inside out. And, yeah, I regret every single second I spent in a bar or pokey area. Um, I regret every dollar I wasted. I regret the thought of even going to a gaming venue. Nowadays, to me, a treat might be, you know, running a bath or, you know, getting a massage. That's a treat. Getting value for my money or spending it where I don't regret it is a big thing, you know. Treat yourself. Going to a bar, alcohol, you know, risking a dollar, thinking, hoping you might get more, that's not a treat, no. In fact, it's, it's again, you, I often say, Bill, you know, you either get better in life or bitter, but I want to get better, better and better. Mm. Those old days of guilt, you know, bitter and kill machines, I hate them, are gone. And it's getting better because, you know, I used to have so much anger towards machines because they're everywhere. But if you've got a problem with anything, make steps today before it's too late, before you're 40, 50, 60, 70. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit sad. The longer you postpone it, yeah, the, the more difficult it is and the more impact it has on your life for sure, yeah. Definitely, because you, you know that you're doing wrong. I mean, I know, like, let's just say I open a packet of biscuits. Now I know two biscuits is generally what I, you know, would have. And I know if I have any more than that, you're just being greedy or, you know, again, like people that with weight problems, yeah, have the piece of cake, but your body wasn't made to have the whole cake. And look, if you can gamble and go, I'm going to risk this money, this amount, and that's it, or top, great. But you know what? I've got lots of many sayings, Bill, but one of them, if you don't control what needs to be controlled, it will be always controlling you. And that goes back to making good choices. Yeah, it does. Thank you very much. Um, if anyone would like to find out more about Gambles Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or go online at gaustralia.org.au uh, where you'll find more information about meetings and phone contacts throughout Australia. 
that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank SJ for sharing her gambling story and how being a member of Gamblers Anonymous has helped her dealing with her gambling addiction. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks very much for having me. It was a pleasure. If this interview has raised issues for you and you need help, then you can call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 for assistance. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we plan to talk to a member of Alcoholics Anonymous about their journey of recovery from alcohol addiction. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.